This reading is from the Old Testament book called Two Chronicles, from chapter 34, beginning at verse 14. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, Your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and workers. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, Ahikam son of Shaphan, Abdon son of Micah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Hilkiah and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tokhath, the son of Hazrah, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem, in the new quarter. She said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me, This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all that their hands have made. My anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your ancestors, and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place and on those who live here. So they took her answer back to the king. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least 
to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites. And he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from the New Testament, from the book of John, chapter 18, starting at verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. This is the word of the Lord. So Lord Jesus shows your ways and teaches your paths. For you are God our Saviour and our hope is in you all days long. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 27 of that Old Testament passage said this. Because your heart, Josiah, was responsive, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against his place and his people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Over the summer, George and I went to see the film Dunkirk. I'm sure some of you have seen it, yes? Well, some of you need to catch up. It is the second best-selling film of the year. You know, Dunkirk tells the story, the remarkable story of the events that have happened in France in the Second World War. Dunkirk is a story about rescue. 
The story of how, surrounded by overwhelming enemies and faced with an imminent annihilation, an entire army escaped to safety by sea. Some of you who perhaps know your Bibles might be familiar with a similar miraculous story from it. On the 10th of May, 1940, Hitler unleashed a military onslaught upon France and Belgium that left the British and Allied forces outmaneuvered and unprepared, with their backs to the sea and hemmed in at the front by the enemy. Both the German high command and the political and military leaders of Britain believed that the annihilation of the army was imminent and would involve the death or capture of a third of a million soldiers. And Winston Churchill found himself preparing to tell a nation of a catastrophe of epic scale. But it did not happen. The well-known part of the story, as we know, is of the heroic flotilla of 800 boats and ships of various sizes that set off from the English mainland to Dunkirk. The least well-known part of the story, and what the film was silent about, was the role of the king. Over the summer, I also watched another film for the first time. It came out seven years ago. It's called The King's Speech. Once again, I'm sure perhaps a few more of you might have seen this film. It's the story of the prince. The prince who did not expect to, nor did he want to be king during that time of great tension across Europe. The story of a king who overcomes various personal issues of self-worth in a brave feat of public speaking. The story of a king attempting to overcome a stammer while addressing his people. Once more, this film too is also silent about the less well-known story of Dunkirk and the role of the king. Two weeks after the 10th of May 1940, the role of the king in the miracle of Dunkirk is seen. On the 23rd of May, King George VI, who realised that the British nation was on its knees, called the nation to a national day of prayer. Late on the Saturday evening, before that Sunday, it was decided to evacuate as many as possible of the British and Allied forces. On that Sunday, the nation devoted itself to prayer in an unprecedented way. If you read the eyewitness accounts of those days, if you watch the videos, look at the photographs, you will see unprecedented congregations and churches. You will see queues outside of cathedrals. And that same day, the urgent request went out to the boat owners to go and sail across the English Channel. When we pray, and often even before we begin to pray, curious events can start to happen. For instance, in a decision that kind of infuriated his generals that still baffle the historians today, Hitler ordered his army to stop for three days. 
Had they continued to fight, the destruction of the Allied forces would have been inevitable and the war would have perhaps taken a much darker, a much different and far more terrible path. Yet the German tanks and soldiers stayed silent for three days while the evacuation unfolded. Then, on the Tuesday, bad weather prevented the Luftwaffe from flying across the skies, allowing the Allied forces to march across the beach. While on the Wednesday, the storm stopped and the sea stayed extraordinarily calm to enable that evacuation to be far more easier than it was, thereby allowing 338,000 Allied forces to be liberated from Dunkirk many of whom would return four years later. We could say it was a series of miraculous coincidences, but they didn't think so at the time. Winston Churchill called it the miracle of Dunkirk. King George VI was so convinced that, his, that God had heard their prayers that he called Sunday the 9th of June as a national day of thanksgiving. As the wartime Archbishop of York and later Canterbury would say, William Temple, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. Of course, that doesn't mean that we should treat prayer as some sort of transactional relationship where we put a coin in the slot machine and press the lever or the button and hope that God will deliver for us. For that's not the purpose of prayer at all. The purpose of prayer is to know God. To be entering into a relationship with Jesus where we can cast our cares onto him and our fears and tell him our joys as well. And there are moments when our desires seem to be granted and there are others when he appears silent. But when we look back on our lives and everything that happens, we know in the words of the Apostle Paul that God does work for good for all those who love him and are called to him. I don't know if you can remember what it was like though to be eight. As I look out at you, for some of you, it perhaps has been a long while since it was eight. For others... It's a little shorter. Now imagine, if you can, what it would be like to be eight and to be king. Because that was what King Josiah inherited as the king of Judah. In our first Bible reading from the book of 2 Chronicles, we read about the role of the king, King Josiah, in a nation. Just so we all begin on the same page with this. In those days, if you know your history of Israel, you will know that Israel would have split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, the far bigger kingdom, had been overtaken and conquered by the superpower of the day, the Assyrians. And the southern kingdom, the much smaller kingdom where Josiah was king, lived with the imminent threat of invasion at any time. Times were tense. The unease was great. 
War seemed on the imminent horizon and the fate of a nation pivots around the actions of an eight-year-old boy. The story of King Josiah is another story of rescue as he too saves his people from the imminent destruction and overwhelming enemies from all around. Just so we all begin on the same page. In those days, the role of the king was this. He was God's representative to his people. If you were to read the parts of the Bible that chronicle the kings in the Old Testament, you will read quite quickly how each of them has an epitaph written about them. The epitaph begins either in one or two ways. They did evil in the sights of the Lord, or they did right in the eyes of the Lord. To give you the completed epitaph of what was written about King Josiah's life, we read this. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Just so we all begin on the same page, if you were to read the earlier verses of the ones that were read for us, you would read of how something happened to Josiah at the age of 16. Kind of like the age of some of you gathered here this morning. Where something happened in his life that he decided to commit the rest of his life to faithfully following God. And then, at the age of 20, he begins this reformation. This reformation throughout the nation of Judah, purging the nation of its idol worship. Over recent weeks, if you're a member of the parish church with St. George, we've been looking and commemorating another anniversary of another Reformation. The 500th anniversary of what became known as the Reformation. One of the greatest movements in the history of the church. A movement that spread across and changed monarchies across Europe. Changed the political world and the legal world, not to mention everyday life, and which still 500 years later impacts upon our everyday lives in ways in which we don't even recognise. And King Josiah's Reformation was no less widespread as it spread across the borders of Judah into the neighbouring lands. And it was a Reformation with the theme of rescue at its heart. By the time we pick up this story, this Reformation has been going on for six years. And it now centres upon the repair and the restoration of the most sacred place in Jewish worship. The temple which had been left to ruin. The temple was the place where the Jews believed God dwelled on earth. And it's during this major restoration that they find this major discovery. This book of the law. Just so we all get on the same page, the book of the law was all or part of what we call the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And the book is read in the presence of the king. And once more the role of the king and his next action is crucial to the future destiny of a nation. As with King George VI, the significance of King Josiah's actions in saving 
a nation should not be underestimated. And the king's reformation led to the king's and nation's repentance before God as he prays before God because Josiah now begins to realise how evil the practices of a previous generation have been. And the Lord's judgment will be great upon a future generation but for now Josiah's actions have saved the nation. Because Josiah your heart was responsive because you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence I have heard you declares the Lord the king's reformation that led to the king's repentance led to the king's and nation's renewal of the covenant a covenant that in its most simplest form was a commitment to God between God and his people that God said I will be your God and you will be my people a commitment that God's people would faithfully follow him it's the same covenant now extended to all people that another king King Jesus was about to renew by his death and resurrection at the hands of Pontius Pilate the story of King Jesus is the story of the role of the king a story once more of rescue of sacrificial love as through his death he saves the world from the enemy of sin that none of us can overcome because it occupies and lives within us like King George VI and King Josiah King Jesus calls not just the nation but the world to a reformation a reformation of the human heart like King George VI and King Josiah King Jesus calls not just the nation but the world to repentance to humbly confess the sin of our unfaithfulness to him and like King George VI and King Josiah King Jesus calls not just the nation but the world to a renewed lifestyle to be faithful to him to love him with all of our being and to love our neighbours as ourselves earlier this year I heard of a story from another remembrance Sunday from a village in Northamptonshire which kind of bears some familiarity with this parish during the service a bit like what we do they read out the names of all who died from the village in World War I and World War II and then at the end they also include these words and we remember the two American airmen who gave their lives for the people of this village you see there used to be a US airbase a few miles outside the village during World War II and one night a bomber plane was returning badly damaged and it became clear to the pilots that they were not going to make the runway they had parachutes but instead of bailing out they remained at the controls to steer the plane away from the houses and they crashed in a field both were killed but no one else was hurt as we reflect on that story and wonder how did people view 
the lives and actions of those two men. Of course, it may never have been reported because of wartime restrictions, but if it was, kind of if you lived in a far-off place in Britain, maybe you would have seen them as good men for what they did. For those living in the surrounding area, they were viewed as heroes. But for those under the flight path that night, they were saviours. You see, there are many who view King Jesus and see him as a good man. Some may even try to follow his teaching, especially around loving your neighbour, but bail out when it comes to committing to love him. There are others who step closer and view King Jesus as a hero, as a man that they admire of great courage and noble qualities but then when it comes to loving him they too bail out and then there are some who open their heart to him and humbly surrender to him and see King Jesus as their saviour and saviour of the world and like God heard with King Josiah's cries he hears our cries And it changes everything as we go on faithfully serving him. He never ceases to amaze us. And how we view King Jesus and his role in our lives depends upon our proximity to him. And the closeness of the relationship that we have with him. The journey of intimacy begins with a response that typified the actions of King Josiah and King George VI. Namely a reformation of your heart to him. An act of repentance as we humbly confess the sin of our unfaithfulness to him. And a commitment to live a renewed lifestyle. To be faithful to him. To love him with all of our heart and our being. And to love our neighbours as ourselves. Let us pray. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.